Before we go to Hosea, BiblicalTraining.org provides a comprehensive biblical education from world-class professors to encourage spiritual growth in the church for free. In this podcast, we'll be sharing lectures and having conversations about biblical topics that matter to you today. If you find these episodes helpful, please give us a good rating on iTunes and share them with your friends and networks. In chapter 3, verses 4 to 5, I want you to notice, let's keep going in Ezekiel. Chapter 39 of Ezekiel is a recapitulation of 38. He just goes over some of the same ground, expands upon the suppression of Israel in the end time. Now, what happens after they're oppressed? Well, let's look at it. Look at chapter 39 and verse 28. 39, 28, again talks about when God will destroy the oppressor of Israel. Then he says in verse 29, And I will not hide my face from them any longer, for I will have poured out my Spirit on the house of Israel. This is the first place we found so far that the Holy Spirit is an end-time gift to Israel. The Holy Spirit. So that's a new little wrinkle there. New little wrinkle. However, we're not finished with Ezekiel. If you go to 40 to 48, anybody know what chapters 40 to 48 are about? They're about one topic. It's a real airtight compartment in the book of Ezekiel. Anybody know what that section's about? Building of the temple. That's right. It's the building of the temple. And it really makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, that this would dovetail right off that last verse in chapter 39 because it's God's unique presence that dwelt in the temple, His unique salvific presence. I mean, God's creational presence is everywhere, but His unique salvific presence dwelt in the temple in Israel And now he's saying there'll come a time when there'll be another temple and I will dwell with them again. In fact, uh, he says that uh, at the end of chapter 37. He says this, that in verse 26, I'll make a covenant of peace with them. It'll be an everlasting covenant with them. I'll place them and multiply them and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. And it's that sanctuary that he expands upon in chapters 40 to 48. And he says, verse 27, My dwelling place will also be with them, and I will be their God, they will be my people, and the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So twice it's mentioned at the end of 37, and all of a sudden you get chapters 40 to 48 that just expands on what he means by that sanctuary. So in Ezekiel, what we have then, we have the latter days when there's going to be oppression and tribulation for Israel. God will deliver them from the oppressor, give them the Spirit, and build a temple to set that spirit in. That's an end-time eschatological prophecy. Now, let's go on to Hosea 3 in verses 4 to 5. Hosea 3, verses 4 to 5. We'll really get to know the canon well in this course in Old Testament texts. Hosea 3, verses 4 to 5. For the sons of Israel will remain for many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idols. And what that's talking about there is their land will be destroyed. They'll be sent into exile, as we know, in Babylon. And then verse 5 is after the exile. Well, what's going to to happen after the exile? Afterward, verse 5, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So, 
Here's a new thought. Return from exile. Israel's return from exile occurs in the latter days. That's a new thought. Okay? That's, and we're going to summarize these when we finish our, summer, our, our, our survey here. It's the time of restoration. It's the time when, as we see in verse 5, God and David will be their king. God and David. Be another David. Is it, is it a resurrected David or another David? Have to wait and see. Okay? Now, another one. Turn with me to Daniel. And Daniel is the king of eschatological prophecy, as we'll see. Let's first turn to Daniel 2 and verse 28. Daniel 2, verse 28. Daniel 2, verse 28. And let's read it. Now, this section of Daniel is in Aramaic, intriguingly, which is what the Aramaic Targums were written in. You remember that Daniel, was with, he was uh, with some wise men, and the king had a dream and it's not clear whether he remembered the dream but didn't know its meaning or he just knew he had an amazing dream and he, he didn't even know what it was, much less the meaning. At any rate, we'll assume maybe he knew the dream. He remembered the dream. He didn't know the meaning. He tells the wise men, the soothsayers, he says, I want you to interpret my dream. And they said, well, tell the dream too. I said, no, no. I mean, if you really claim to be who you are, you'll know my dream and its interpretation. He says, if you don't, then I'm going to kill you. I'm going to execute you. And so, you know, they're in fear and trembling. And so Daniel prays, Lord, uh, I'm going to be killed too. Uh, reveal this dream to me. And in fact, God does reveal the dream to Daniel. Look at verse 19, chapter 2. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. It was just, I, I was coming back to an airport recently, and there was a young woman sitting in the back of the uh, airport van. And we were back there, and we struck up a conversation and this, this was strange because she started talking about the notion that she was an artist and that what she drew were big murals in California of uh, visions of revelation. And she looked at me and she said, I, I dream about the visions in uh, revelation and then I actually put them down on a canvas. And she said, what do you think about dreams uh, in the book of Revelation? And I said, well, it's funny you should ask me that question. Um, and, you know, I told her I'd, I'd written on this. And uh, that's a tough question to answer. But I said, you know, in Revelation, there are a lot of visions that are based on dreams. And they're from Daniel. And you know, we, we talked a little more about that. And I concluded, I hope I didn't offend her. I said, you know, interpret your dreams by the Bible and not the Bible by your dreams. And I said, because our dreams can be fallible. The Bible is infallible. And we, we continue to have a... Uh, interesting talk. But here is a dream of Nebuchadnezzar this time that Daniel is able to uh, interpret, and it's given to him even in a night vision. This may have been in a dream vision to Daniel himself. Now look with me at verse 28 about what this dream is about. However, there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He's made known. This is what he's now telling to Nebuchadnezzar, okay? Daniel's telling this to Nebuchadnezzar. There's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He's made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days, or at the end of the days. And he goes on, this was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. So here we have it again. Same phrase in Aramaic this time as in the, as the Hebrew, Aramaic equivalent to the Hebrew. And what is this dream about? Well, if you read on, um, this dream is about an image that Nebuchadnezzar saw. It was a statue, a great colossus, divided into four sections. Uh, the head was the head of gold representing the Babylonian Empire. The next section represented the Medo-Persian Empire. And the third section uh, represented the Greek Empire. And the fourth section says, a kingdom more terrible than all the others. And 
All of these clearly are the opponents of God's people. And we find in Daniel 7, in fact, uh, the mirror image. It's four kingdoms again, but now they're beasts. Probably the difference is that Daniel 2 is Nebuchadnezzar's perspective of things. Daniel 7 is God's perspective of these kingdoms. What appears beautiful to a pagan uh, apart from God, indeed, is beast-like because when we make decisions apart from God, that's what we're like. We're like beasts. We don't consider the Lord. Then, uh, And that's why the kings, a lot of the pagan kings of the Old Testament are called beasts. Now, the summary of this, however, uh, this vision is a stone is cut out without hands in Daniel's vision. It strikes the statue and just crumbles it to such a degree that it's, it's, it's uh, uh, made into fine dust and the winds carry it away. And the interpretation of that is given to us at the end of the chapter in Daniel 2 and in verse uh, 40, uh, let's see, 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure. And as much as you saw, Nebuchadnezzar, that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and then it crushed the iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God is made known to the king what will take place literally after this or in the future, which is an interpretation of 228 in the latter days. So this is one of the clearest texts. Uh, probably is further expanding on Numbers 24. Now, look at chapter 10 with me of Daniel. Again, we find a, a very explicit statement in chapter 10 about the latter days. Chapter 10 and verse 14. Here we begin, we have Hebrew again that began at chapter 8. An angel is speaking to Daniel in chapter 10, verse 14. Now I've come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision pertains to the days yet future. Now, this section is an introduction to the rest of the book. Chapters 10, 11, and 12 are one section. And it's about what's going to happen to Israel in the latter days. Well, let's see what's going to happen. Look at chapter 11 and beginning at verse 30. I want to read that because we read it in Numbers. Chapter 11, 30, for ships of Katim will come against him. There we got our ships of Katim, that weird reference. And then it's talking about an end-time opponent who I believe is the Antichrist. It says he'll be disheartened. He'll return and become enraged at the Holy Covenant and take action. He'll come back and show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. So he's going to try to cause people to comp compromise. Somehow he's going to have influence within the covenant. And we're in chapter 11, beginning at verse 30 now. Chapter 11, 30. says he'll become enraged at the holy covenant and take action. He'll come back and show regard for those who forsake the covenant, the holy covenant. So he's going to give special favors to those who compromise and compromise enough that uh, they're seen as no longer being loyal to God. Verse 31, Forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away with a regular sacrifice, and they'll set up the abomination of desolation. Now, all I want you to notice there is that he's going to come against the temple. Exactly what that means, it's difficult to know. He's going to come against the temple. In verse 32, He's, got, he's not only going to oppress and not only going to show favor to those who forsake and, 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 and show disloyalty to the, the God of the Holy Covenant, but what else is he going to do? For those who don't uh, compromise, verse 32, by smooth words he'll turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant, but the people who know their God will display strength and take action. So he's going to be a deceiver. Now how is he going to deceive? Probably by sending 
his, his compromisers back into the covenant community and, and getting them to spread their compromising spirit. And as well, saying that if you don't compromise, then you're going to be persecuted. For notice what verse 33 says, those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many. So you've got to have insight because this is a real deceptive time. You really have to have insight, insight into God's word and how it applies. Yet, it says, those who have insight will fall by sword and by flame, by captivity and by plunder for many days. Now, when they fall, when they're persecuted, they'll be granted a little help. Now, notice this. Many will join with them in hypocrisy. Some will cross back over and say, I'm loyal. But they're really not. And they'll cross over again and show their disloyalty. Notice, as we continue in verse uh, 35, some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end of time. In other words, God causes trial now and at the end of time to make people pure, to strengthen them. And then it says, until, look at the end of verse 35, until the end time. Because it, that is, uh, this tribulation and deliverance is to come at the appointed time. Notice verse 40, and at the end time. These events are taking place, see how often this is used, at the end time. And, and then we find this end time opponent will be defeated by God in verse 45. He'll pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he'll come to his end and no one will help him. But notice, we're not finished. So far what we've seen is the end time in Daniel in chapters 10 through 11 have to do with this tribulation, this deception, and compromise. The end of it, the end time opponent will be defeated. But he goes back a little bit in verse 1 of chapter 12. Look at 12.1 with me. Now at that time, at the time of this tribulation, Michael the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Now what is that time of distress? It's what we just read in chapter 11. So he kind of goes back and he's expanding. But then what will happen at the end of that time? Well, at the end of that time, at that time, your people, everyone who's found written in the book, will be rescued. How will they be rescued? Verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. The resurrection. This is the first time we've really found the notion of resurrection uh, associated with the idea of the latter days. Now, I want to backtrack just a little bit and go back to this notion of end-time tribulation in Daniel. And I hope, you know, a lot of people conceive of a, of a final great tribulation as the stars falling, the sun being uh, clouded, maybe becoming red, and, and perhaps apocalyptic scorpions stinging people and this sort of thing. So far, all Daniel has said is it's going to be a time of deception and persecution. And really, I want to highlight this idea of deception for you uh, back in chapter 8 because we're going to come to it again. And I just want to mention it briefly. Speaking of the same end-time opponent, at the same end of time, notice chapter 8 and verse 17. Chapter 8, verse 17. An angel is talking with Daniel. He says, The angel came near to where I was standing. When he came, I was frightened, fell on my face. But he said to me, Son of man, understand that the vision pertains to the time of the end. And then the same thing, verse 19. Behold, the, the, the angel says, I'm going to let you know what will occur at the final period of the indignation, for it pertains to the appointed time of the end. And then skip down to the description of this opponent that we saw in chapter 11 of Daniel, beginning at verse 24. His power will be mighty, not by his own power. He'll destroy to an extraordinary degree. 
He'll prosper and perform his will. He'll destroy mighty men and the holy people. There you get the persecution. But now note the other, the deception. Through his shrewdness, he'll cause deceit to succeed by his influence. He'll magnify himself in his heart. He'll destroy many while they are at ease. He'll even oppose the prince of princes. Notice the end of verse 23, skipping up a little bit. It says, In the latter part of their rule, when the transgressors have run their course, a king will arise. This is the opponent. Insolent and skilled in intrigue. Now that word for insolent means strong of face. He'll be in everybody's face in the covenant community. And just as today we don't like people being in our face, really, people won't like it then, but some will like it. And they shouldn't, but some will like it. And you want to know why? Because of what verse 25 says. Look at it again. It says, let's read it, through his shrewdness he'll cause deceit to succeed by his influence. He'll magnify himself in his heart. He'll destroy many while they are at ease. While they think everything is great, he'll deceive them. While they think there's no threat, they'll be deceived. And we'll see that that is really important for understanding how all of this relates to the New Testament. So let me summarize what we've said. Let's just uh, do a conclusion here. In the Old Testament, the latter days refers to the following thing. First, a coming messianic-like leader who will subdue Israel's enemies. And by the way, these are Gentile enemies, pagan Gentile enemies. Secondly, it's a time when some Gentiles will voluntarily submit to God. Thirdly, it's the future time of God's reign on earth together with a Davidic king. It's a little bit of an overlap with our comment about uh, the Messianic-like leader. Davidic king. In fact, that was the Hosea 3 text that we talked about, and that brings me to another point, and that is it's the time of Israel's restoration from exile. That's what Hosea was about, chapter uh, 3, as well as Ezekiel 38, the time of Israel's exile. And what we've just been looking at in Daniel, it was a time of tribulation for Israel, of the end-time opponents' deception, and of what we'll call covenant community compromise or disloyalty. Covenant community compromise or disloyalty. And some, of course, will remain faithful, the remnant. Some will remain faithful. And we've also seen it's the time of the Spirit and the temple. And I think in Ezekiel, as we saw, those two go together, don't they? The Spirit dwells in the temple. It's the time of the coming of the end-time temple. Now, what we've done is we've looked at texts that formerly have the phrase latter days. There are a number of passages that uh, basically conceptually talk about the latter days, but don't use that phrase or term. And by the way, Ezekiel 40 to 48 never uses latter days. 
It's kicked off by latter days at the end of chapter 38, uh, though even 39 doesn't use the phrase. So, I mean, there's a good example of a prophecy about the latter days where the term is not actually used. So you want to be careful. This is just a point of method. You don't want to think if you study a term, like let's say you study the term hagiosmos or hagiadzo, the word for sanctify in the New Testament or to be holy. Uh, if you study that term in, in Paul, let's say, where it's used in the New Testament, let's say, don't think that you've covered everything there is to say or that the New Testament has to say about sanctification because there are other places where the concept of sanctification occurs. So it is with the idea of eschatology in the Old Testament. Now, next time I'm going to pass out to you a list of where the latter days occurs in Judaism. Uh, that is that time between the close of the Old Testament canon and the beginning of the New Testament canon. And, and basically the same themes are found here as well. There is another, I think, that we ought to say, and, and that is the idea of resurrection. We saw that, didn't we, in uh, Daniel 12 and verse 2. And I think maybe together with resurrection, we ought to mention new creation. We saw some new creation themes in Genesis 49, but they were a bit, a bit uh, uh, subtle, though the Targumic translation brought out the idea of Eden returning to the earth. Now, I, I think I should probably give you a text, and we should look at it quickly before we finish the summary, where it talks about new creation explicitly. And turn with me to Isaiah chapter 65. Even though latter days isn't mentioned, this is pretty highly charged end time material. Isaiah 65, beginning at verse 17. Isaiah 65, verse 17. And Isaiah says in verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things will not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing, her people for gladness. I'll also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people, and no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of uh, crying. And it goes on, it begins talking about, isn't this interesting, all this fertility and fruitfulness. For example, look at uh, verse 21, they'll build houses and inhabit them, they'll plant vineyards, eat their fruit, uh, they'll not build and another inhabit, they'll not plant and another eat. Now this is interesting, for as the lifetime of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. What does that mean? They'll die when they're 400 or 300 if some strange trees last that long, though we know some in California last longer than that. No, I think the point is that this, this is figurative language, saying these people are going to live a long time, i.e. forever. And what's interesting, when the Greek translators came along and translated Isaiah 65 and verse 22 around 300, 250 B.C., here's how they translated it. It's a little bit of an interpretation. It says, for as is the lifetime of the tree of life, so will be the days of my people. Relates it all the way back to Eden. All the way back to Eden. And so we have really Eden coming on the earth again. And of course that makes sense, doesn't it? Because verse 17 began with, I create a new heavens and a new earth. And then chapter 66 recapitulates. Look at chapter 66 and verse 22. For just as the new heavens and the new earth which I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so your offspring, your seed, and your name will endure. In fact, the Greek Old Testament, when it translates it there, actually has uh, implications of resurrection here. Uh, the offspring will uh, be renewed in such a way that they'll never be corrupt.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Biblical Training Podcast. If you like what you heard and want to see more, visit our website, biblicaltraining.org, to access over 130 free classes. You can also download our app in the App Store or Google Play. We are a nonprofit ministry and depend on donations. If you're able, please click the Donate button on our website and donate today. Thank you.